Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. And as you're turning there and to Isaiah, I just want to remind you that this Friday we do have a Good Friday service as we commemorate, as we remember, as we worship, as we think about what our Savior did for us and prepare for that glorious day on Easter Sunday. And so may we all prepare our hearts and we look forward to God's mercies and His grace to us during that time. But for now, we will continue to be in this fourth servant song in Isaiah that began back in chapter 52, verse 13, and continues on through chapter 53 with five stanzas. And so this morning, we're going to look at the second stanza of this servant song that are found in verses 1 through 3 of Isaiah 53. Uh, but let me read all the way to verse 6, just to get a little bit of the context here. This is God's holy word to us this morning. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Let's pray. Oh, Father, these are somber, heavy words written long ago, prophesied about a servant, a Savior, our Savior. And so, Lord, help us to see the the rich gospel meaning, the, the truth that is here in your word. Help us to walk in your light and see your truth here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The former old commentator Matthew Henry once wrote, Nowhere in all of the Old Testament is it so plainly and fully prophesied that Christ ought to suffer and then to enter into his glory as in this chapter here in Isaiah? I agree. You, you can't help but read this fourth servant song here in Isaiah and not think about Jesus and not see him jumping off the page, his, his life. His death, his resurrection, his, his exaltation, it is all here prophesied in Isaiah. 
So line by line, verse by verse, Isaiah prophesies about one who would who would come and fulfill this great salvation plan that God the Father had planned before the foundation of the world. And so our passage today, it is rightly called good news. It is the gospel here in Isaiah. And last week we looked at it that it's astonishing. It's it's almost too good to be true. It's not the way that we would plan it. It's not the way that we would write the story. And this theme is continued again here in Isaiah as he proposes this question in verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? Isaiah is in a sense saying, it's almost unbelievable. And in fact, there are many who have, have not believed. There are many who can't believe. And by this question, we learn the truth, this great truth of the scriptures. That without the sovereign arm of God reaching down and applying his irresistible grace to sinners who have rejected the Messiah, there is no hope for us. And so the second part of, of the verse, of verse 1, answers the first part there in the second part of verse 1. Who, who has believed? It is to those whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed. The arm of the Lord is a is an anthropomorphism. Add that to your vocabulary list this week. What's an anthropomorphism? An anthropomorphism is in a way to explain what God is like or what he does in, in human terms. And so that's what the scriptures often do. They describe God to us like we would be talking about a man or a person so that we could actually see what the work of God is like. So in other words... The sovereign God Almighty does not literally have an arm that he reaches down out of heaven. I mean, he could do that if he wanted to. It would probably scare a lot of us. But he, his, 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 his spirit, it's God's spirit. It's, it's, this is the language that Isaiah uses so that we can understand. It's an, it's an illustration that we can follow and that God's arm, his, his sovereign work by his Holy Spirit in human lives, it's what is needed for mankind to believe. We need the arm of the Lord to be revealed. So that we may believe. And so that's the question I want us to wrestle with. Why must the arm of the Lord be revealed to mankind? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah asks. Why do we need the arm of the Lord to be revealed? The first thing there is. Because many did not believe the good news. Many did not believe the good news. It was around 2,000 years ago that Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey. Not a war horse, not a chariot, but a lowly, funny-looking animal that we call a donkey. I mean, have you stared at a donkey lately? I mean, they're They're funny. You know, nobody like has a picture of a donkey on their wall as like this symbol of strength. It's like, hey, look at that donkey and that pin the tail on the donkey. I mean, a donkey. OK, I look at one every day as I drive by two of them down the road from my house. 
A donkey. Jesus rode into town on a donkey. And this is just one of the many examples in the scriptures that God has revealed to demonstrate that Jesus came as a, as a humble Messiah, a servant. And these humble demonstrations that Jesus the Messiah did, they do not fit our ideas of a Messiah. And they certainly did not fit the Jews' ideas of the Messiah. I mean, having a donkey as your primary means of kingly transportation would not be in the job description that we would write out for the Messiah. We've already stated, and then we'll continue to state, as we work our way through this servant song, that the way in which the Messiah entered the world, lowly, humble, and even defeated, these ideas, they don't conform to the ideas that we have about the Messiah. But they teach us this wonderful biblical truth that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the cross to be the way that he would reveal his arm to the world. Jesus chose a donkey for his triumphal entry. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, just as the Bible said he would. But as they were shouting Hosanna, as they were just in utter excitement, enthusiastic about this king, this, this man who was working miracles, riding in to Jerusalem, I mean, who really believed that he was the Messiah? Because it was exciting, it was, I mean, to be there, it was probably greater than the Super Bowl, you know, with excitement. But just a week later, just a week, many abandoned him and no longer believed. He was even raised from the dead and appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters. And, and who, who believed? He came... Humbly, lowly, but who would believe in him? Jesus did not meet any of the expectations. He didn't meet any of the presuppositions nor the anticipations of the Messiah. And so many did not believe him. If they did not believe the miracles, they did not believe the signs and the wonders, then how would they believe? How could Anyone believe? And so Isaiah answers his question with another question. The answer is it must be the arm of the Lord. The lowly, humble, unimpressive way that Jesus came into the world teaches us this vital lesson, this vital biblical lesson about faith and salvation. There can, there can be no belief. There can be no trust without the sovereign arm of God intervening into our lives, into our hearts. The Spirit of God must enter into our lives, into our hearts, and, and change us, redirect us, turn us away from ourselves, and turn us toward Christ. This is what the theologians have called irresistible grace. 
or efficacious grace. It's a wonderful doctrine. It's a wonderful teaching whereby the Holy Spirit extends to the elect a special inward call that brings them to salvation. And this is the mighty hand of God revealing himself to us, changing us, remaking us, causing us to be new. And that's why both John's gospel and Paul in Romans chapter 10, they they quoted this passage here from Isaiah. And they were trying to make the point that there will be no reason for the Jews or for the Gentiles to, to wonder at the mystery of God coming so lowly unless God had not intervened. They prophesied long ago, Isaiah prophesied long ago that a servant would come and that he would die and that he would save men from their sins. And yet they knew this, they heard this, it was read, yet who believed? And that's why we need the sovereign grace of God to intervene in our lives. Because that shows us the second thing here. No one wants to believe in weakness. No one wants to believe in weakness. Look in verse 2. For he, it's no secret now, this is Jesus. He grew up before him like a young plant. Like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus appeared as a very ordinary Jewish man, perhaps somewhat weak, not like a powerful king or some demigod. He just appeared very ordinary. He was not impressive. Have you ever met someone just an impressive, just a man that you stood up next to and just thought, I feel small? Well, I did one time, met Shaquille O'Neal. Met him in a gas station slash Dairy Queen in Pensacola, Florida. It was Laura and I's custom to go there after youth group on Sunday night and eat lots of ice cream when we were in our 20s. And we're sitting there enjoying our ice cream overlooking Pensacola Bay. And this giant man walks through the door. And so I'm, you know, this Butterfinger Blizzard dripping out of my mouth. I said, Laura, that's Shaquille O'Neal. She's like, how do you know? And I said, trust me. <laughs> there are only few seven foot one men of that stature in this world. And I knew it was him. And I said, I'm going to go get his autograph. This is before cell phones and, you know, I didn't have a camera in my pocket. It would have been 35 millimeter back then. And so I started following him. He was going to the bathroom and I said, I'm just going to wait. Right? Um, and I'm like, hurry, you know, get, get something. So we get a napkin and I wait till he comes out of the bathroom. And I introduce myself to him, talk to him. Very kind man. He's going to see his mama. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, he signed the napkin. I have it in my office if you wonder what the framed napkin is. It's Shaquille O'Neal. And afterwards, I'm like, honey, isn't that amazing? I mean, Shaquille O'Neal. And she goes, you know, I never really thought of you as kind of a small man. <laughs> Until you were standing next to Shaquille O'Neal. He was, he was huge. I mean, he was 
an impressive man. For all of you younger folks that don't know who I'm talking about, he's the guy on the Icy Hot commercial. <laughs> so that's how old some of us are now. <laughs> but Jesus, he was not like that at all. He was merely a man. He looked like a man. He talked like a normal Jewish man. He wasn't necessarily an impressive man like a Shaquille O'Neal or a King Saul even. So how could the arm of the Lord come to save through this man? How could he possibly be the Messiah? Because he had no majesty. He had no, no beauty about him that made people go, wow. Look at that guy, king. There was nothing like that. Rather, their, their, their reaction was, not long after the whole Hosanna episode, isn't that the carpenter's son? Isn't that Joseph's boy? Instead of coming with all the pomp and circumstance of a king or even a god, the Bible says he came like a tender plant. A lowly root propping up out of the ground. Talked to many of you this morning doing some yard work this weekend. What a beautiful day to do that. We're trying to beautify our yard too. And wasn't long ago I had this crepe myrtle tree I was trying to kill and get rid of in the yard. And all of you know about that. You chop it down, saw it off at the stump. What's going to happen a week later? The shoots start coming back. So what do you do? You just mow right over it. Every week, just mow it, just get rid of those little tendered shoots coming up. I don't want that tree growing right there. It's just just worthless. Just just go right over it. He was, was like a tender shoot coming up out of dry ground. Nobody was trying to preserve it. Nobody was trying to take care of it or watch. Hey, look at that little little tender shoot coming up. <coughs> Pastor Ray Ortland said this way. Our Lord just wasn't special in ways that count to us. You get that? He just wasn't special in ways that count to us, but it teaches us one of the most important biblical lessons that we need to learn. That God uses the weak to shame the strong. God uses the weak to shame the strong. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 where he says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God uses the lowly, the weak to shame the strong. And so the world looks away. Because Jesus is just not that impressive. And unfortunately, we who do believe, sometimes we look away from Jesus. Because we don't think that he's strong enough to fix our problems. You know, it's good to, to love him and to praise him at Easter and Christmas. But, you know, day to day with the problems I've got going on at home and at work, I'm not sure Jesus is strong enough or power enough. Powerful enough to, to fix my issues. I mean, yeah, he died on the cross for my sin, but I mean, this sin was huge. 
it's going to take me a while to work my way back from that one. We don't think he's strong enough. We consider him nothing. And even, and here it is, even we who believe, even we need the arm of the Lord to smack us down and say, look to Jesus. He is great. He was made weak so that you could be made strong. The third thing there is in verse 3, the arm of the Lord had to be revealed because no one can believe. No one wants to believe in what they despise. Look at that in verse 3. He was despised, rejected. People hid their face from him. Despised again. We esteemed him not. Jesus was, was shunned. He was rejected. What did they say to him as he hung up on the cross? He saved others. Why can't he save himself? Isaiah says he was a man of sorrows, not because he was sickly or sorrowful looking. It was because he took on our sorrows. He was acquainted with our sorrows in the sense that he knew him. He bore our sorrows on the tree. Derek Thomas says this, the Messiah seemed more of a victim than a conqueror. The cross was, after all, a symbol of rejection and a curse. For what does it say? Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So this passage sums up unbelief in this way. Look at that last verse. We esteemed him not. This is an accounting term. This is a finance language here. In other words... The sum total of human knowledge or the sum total of human belief in this servant, when it was added up by all the belief, all the belief of all the people, it equaled zero. They accounted him as nothing. And so Isaiah sums up for us what our true condition is apart from the arm of the Lord being revealed to us. To see no beauty or majesty in this servant, Jesus. To despise him and reject him and to hide our face from him and conclude that he is nothing. Just shows how corrupt our minds, our hearts, our wills and our emotions truly are. When we look at Jesus. How utterly depraved and sinful we are that we would reject the truth. And close our minds to the servant of God. And the reasons why we blow him off is because we don't see his rejection. Him being despised as the basis of our acceptance before God. That is the gospel here. He was rejected so that we would be accepted. And this matters in our evangelism as well because when we talk to others about Jesus... And, and, and we don't get why others aren't attracted to him. It's because they are praising what they hear from us. And, and, and they're looking at it and they're adding it up. And they think, you know, that doesn't really account for much. And it's so convicting for someone to look at our lives. And they, if they were to truly look at what, what's important, is Jesus going to be accounted there? 
This is why churches really mess it up with cheap doctrine or compromised doctrine or false doctrine or no doctrine at all. And when the world sees it, when they see all this compromise that the church has made on the gospel, why would anybody want to buy that? Why would anybody esteem that? The churches do all kind of crazy things, all kind of unorthodox things to attract people with this fun environment, this music, this, all these social aspects. But after all of that, is Jesus there? Is there a Jesus there that someone would want to give his life for? Is there a Jesus there that someone would highly esteem? Would, was, is there a Jesus there that somebody said, I want that? And all of this, is why we need irresistible grace. Where we need the sovereign arm of the Lord to save us and to show us that we need grace. Grace that is greater than all of our sin and our rejection. Jesus had to become like one of us. He had to become like this man who was despised and rejected so that we could become like him. See that? He had to become like us so that we could become like him. We need grace that shows us that Jesus was despised. He was rejected by men and by God so that the arm of the Lord, the sovereign arm of the Lord would come down and and take us by the head and and turn us and, and redirect us toward away from everything that we call religion, away from everything that we're looking to to save ourselves or to find satisfaction in in his sovereign arm and just point us to Jesus. And say, look at him, look at my servant, look at what he did for you. And so that's what that table, this table before us means. It's the sovereign hand of God saying, look, Look at what Jesus did. Look at, look at what this symbolizes and reveals that he was, he was rejected. His body was broken. His blood was shed. He was despised. He took on our sin. And we are saved by his grace. The sovereign arm of the Lord reaching down, showing us his great love. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need these reminders. We need your sovereign arm to reach down and redirect our priorities, redirect our hearts, redirect our minds, redirect our focuses upon Jesus. Our Messiah, our Savior, the The servant who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life is a ransom for many. And so we praise you and thank you for yet another reminder this morning of that. And so prepare us, Lord. Show us your grace. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.